Welcome to the Performance Connection Podcast, the show where we connect you to the highest quality information and leading professionals in the world of human performance. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Performance Connection Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jackie Kaminsky. Jackie, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Corey? I'm, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. So before we dive into today's episode, why don't you go ahead and give our listeners your background, what you've done educationally, professionally, and then what you're doing now? Yeah, absolutely. I would love to talk about myself. It's always a great topic. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, Jack Kaminsky, I'm a registered dietitian, got my undergrad and master's degree at Florida State University, go Knowles, and... So I started my career in terms of getting invested in combat sports specifically when I was interning during my dietetic internship at FSU during my master's. At the time, I had no idea like about UFC or boxing or anything. Like I was very, very new to the fight sports world. And at the time, I started doing like nine rounds kickboxing, which is by no means like real training. For any fights for it's just like it's like it's like a hot mom workout like yeah. <laughs> and so that my friend at the time he was a trainer at that facility and so when I would go home for like spring break and stuff or holiday I would work out with him mm-hmm. and it started to spark an interest you know in terms of I was just like you know we never talk about fight sports in school like I know this is a whole area of athletes that I wonder if people in my profession get into it, you know, if they have different nutritional needs, because I knew there was a weight cutting component to it. And so, you know, obviously, anyone who wants to get into sports, it's always the major ones. It's football, it's basketball, it's baseball, and it's highly competitive in those fields. And my my mindset was, okay, where can I get into where I can become really successful really fast that there's like no competition? Yeah, find, find a niche. Exactly. So at the time, I started Googling internships that I needed for the summer, and I came across the UFC. They were hiring interns. Long story short, applied, got the job. Don't know how, because I told them in that interview, I was like, listen, I don't know squat about fight sports. So I was like, but I'm a really great learner. I'm really eager. I'm really interested. You know, I'll do whatever it takes. And I just I'm I think I could be really passionate about this field. I spent 12 weeks at the UFC Performance Institute. And I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with the science, the sports, the athletes. I mean, they're some of the greatest athletes I've ever worked with. So humble. But I mean, you're talking about elite level people Mm. that just they put their body through the ringer. So, yeah. yeah, So Mm. for me, from, you know, a professional standpoint, from a practitioner standpoint, I just kind of fell in love with the having to balance, you know, the high performance aspect, Mm. but with the weight cutting aspect, too, because, you know, what what these athletes put them through in terms of like cutting weight is really counterintuitive to what we would call like healthy or good for your performance or are things that we like would learn in school. So after my internship, graduated, moved back home. And what do you know? World shuts down. We have a worldwide pandemic. Oh, no. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, for me, I've always been the type of person that's always been always been a go-getter I never like to kind of wait for things to happen I'm the believer that if you want something to happen you have to do it yourself or you have to create the opportunity so I decided to start my own practice called the fight nutritionist so since then and I had a lot of connections from the UFC and South Florida has a huge fighting scene 
wasn't even aware of living down here. I mean, we have American Top Team. We have huge boxing gyms and coaches that are down here, along with, you know, just every other major sport you can think of. So I started my own practice, you know, so that's three years ago now. And I've been able to work with, you know, some of the greatest fighters in the sport, world champions, you know, I've got a few working with already, tons of great amateurs that have, you know, made their way up to the professional rank, you know, low level professionals that are now fighting for titles. So I've really got to see the full spectrum and, you know, I travel all over the world, which is really, that's awesome. But yeah, I would say kind of that, that would wrap up kind of, you know, where I started and where I am now. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Well, at the UFC, so you got to work under the legend Clinton Wattenberg, is that correct? Yeah, Clint Wattenberg and then Charles Stoll. Yep. The, yeah, for sure. Not pet. He's seen, I guess his title would be senior dietitian or he's mm-hmm. right under. They hired him while I was working there. So I got to work with both of them. And, and Charles, cool. I mean, I call him kind of like you know, he's the true wizard of the industry. He's like the leading guy. And I got to learn under him during my time there. And we've still over the years have maintained a really close professional relationship. So I get to work with him, chat with him back and forth all the time. Tony Ricci. Another guy in the field. He's been a mentor for me as well since I've gotten started. Corey Peacock. Yep. Yeah, I've been connected with all of those guys and continue to learn from them because, you know, just getting started, you know, you you hear everything, but like putting it into practice is a different story. So to kind of have those mm-hmm. people that had those experiences too to kind of help you navigate those waters is always really nice. Yeah. People who just heard those names, go go look these people up because, you know, this whole podcast is all about connection. So it's about connecting you to leaders in the field of human performance and she just dropped a bunch of them so go ahead and go ahead and if you don't know who those people are they're great people they know a ton and definitely look them up so today we're going to hopefully dive pretty deep into the weight cutting aspect and i guess where i want to start jackie is the perception outside perception of weight cutting so i i was a wrestling trained coach for six years okay and so Obviously, that's a part of the sport. And as someone who didn't wrestle, like I'm like the only five foot eight guy in Iowa that's never wrestled. It's kind of crazy. So I never wrestled. So I'm working with these wrestlers and of course, they're weight cutting. And I just, am, you know, I have a nutrition master's, so I'm much the same as you. This is counterintuitive. I don't know if it's healthy. It doesn't seem to, it seems like it could be dangerous, but, uh, you know, I just knew from like what Clint had written and stuff like that about how to de- how to descend and then the things to do around competition. But I just felt very like, uh, I know this is the culture, but I don't know how much to push back against it. So yeah. I think people still have this, this mental image and, and probably to a large degree, people still do this of, you know, putting on the sweatsuit or like <laughs> duct tape around the ankles, sitting in a sauna or a really hot room or just like trudging away on the elliptical. Like, I remember, you know, speaking of like you or like MMA not being big, like I remember this story that Martin Rooney told way back in the day when when MMA wasn't really a thing at all, super underground. And he was one of the really, really early guys to get into training these these fighters and he didn't get paid. But then what they would do is they'd take him over to, to Japan like all the time and be like, it was it almost sounded like Mortal Kombat like, or Bloodsport or something. Where it'd be like these American fighters versus these Japanese fighters. And they didn't have a nutritionist. At the time, Martin was a physical therapist. So like, hey, you have, you know, education. You're going to handle the weight cuts and the rehydration. And so they had, 
him doing like IVs and things oh, like my- that. And it just so this is just a crazy, crazy thing where people will try all of these things to try to gain an edge. So mm-hmm. how much of that type of stuff still happens? And how has the science progressed, you know, since that or in recent years? Yeah. I mean, sadly, there's still a lot of people that kind of partake in those like old school methods, I would say, because especially in, you know, I see it a lot still in boxing. I have been working with boxers a lot more. And it's just because there's not a lot of, you know, professionals like you and I that get into it that understand the science and all the information that they're getting are from their coaches who they were fighters back in the day and they learned from their coaches. And it was, yeah, these old school methods where you got to put the trash bag on and run or, you know, working out in the sauna suit like six weeks before the fight, you know, and like all these things that, you know, to us don't make any sense, you know, so it it has the science has progressed quite a lot. I mean, I would say even since I've been like since I've started, you know, three years ago, we've learned so much, you know, and especially from individuals like Charles you know, with the data that they're kind of putting out at the UFC Performance Institute, Jordan Sullivan, the fight dietitian. He's another one in the field that, you know, he he puts out a lot of science, too. And, you know, from a weight cutting perspective, obviously, what we know is that it, it is really dangerous. There's no kind of going around that. But what we can see is that if we can kind of get these athletes in specific ranges, we can mitigate a lot of the risks associated with it. So we just know from a, you know, dehydration perspective, you know, anything more than 5% of your body weight at one time is now going to significantly put you at risk for not only just, you know, decreased performance, but, you know, you're losing water stores located in the brain. So it puts you at increased risk for concussions. And on the flip side of that, even with 24 hours or more of a rehydration period, if you've lost more than, you know, even like 7 8% of your body weight in one night, you're not going to have to be able to fully recover. So now sure. you're going to a situation where you're still at very high risk. So from the science, though, what we've been able to learn and what I think is so fascinating is that we've really been able to pinpoint you know, exactly how to manipulate what we call like non-essential body mass. So what we, you know, or what we're going to refer to always is like acute weight loss methods. So obviously early on, you know, we always want to get these athletes to diet on early. And I think even the science there and the education there, we've been able to show, hey, like, you know, you guys are still performing at really high levels. You don't need to, you know, significantly reduce your calories you know, in order to make weight for such a long period of time. Um, you know, mm-hmm. they've, they've done a few study case studies mm-hmm. with five. So, you know, and, and things that we kind of already knew. So if you significantly deplete calories, like way below your basic energy needs or BMR, you know, you're doing really low carb, all this stuff, it decreases your resting metabolic rate, you lose muscle mass, it decreases testosterone, you know, all the things that would essentially be bad for your body, it does. And we've shown that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, from a science perspective, we've been able to show that, hey, we can kind of be really methodical about how we do things. We can mitigate a lot of those problems that we see happen with these really drastic weight cuts so you know everything from something early on like heat acclimation so something that you know when you see the boxers wearing the sweatsuits and stuff like that you know we kind of think oh that's silly to do so early on but when you really think about it you know they're 
they're doing, what we would kind of educate on in terms of a heat acclimation. We just want them to do it more in a passive method. But they're putting the sweatsuit on and they're training their bodies to get that sweat response going or be able to tolerate that really, really hot environment. When it comes to fight week and they do that same thing now, it just makes it easier for them. So they're still kind of training their body. Now we're just maybe trying to get them to do it in a different fashion because maybe, you know, if they're doing that too early, they're not hydrating enough. And we're like, hey, like, we know you want to lose the water weight and see it on the scale now, but like, it's just water and we need to put that back in you. Yeah. So that would be early on, but maybe during fight week, we can show them, hey, like, this is how you, you know, slowly taper your carbohydrates to lower body weight every single day from a glycogen depletion perspective. You know, you can water load and this much for, you know, 72 hours and then cut it at this time. And that is actually going to increase, you know, your water turnover response and keep you from being too dehydrated, you know, acutely. We can deplete fiber in the diet, you know, mm-hmm. for you know, a few days to kind of release any extra water retention in the gut. So I think, you know, the science, even like I said, even since I've started has been has really found interesting ways to acu- acutely manipulate this weight. Yeah. We'll get these athletes at a lower weight before mm-hmm. starting their quote unquote like water cut. You know, that's what I call it, the water cut. <laughs> yeah. Or the official weight cut where we have to like purposely dehydrate you to make weight. So if we can get those athletes under that 5% mark the night before, then that's quote unquote like a safe range to have, you know, a, a cut that your body's still going to respond to well. You're not going to put yourself at risk for, sick, you know, severe dehydration or kidney failure. And if you do the rehydration protocol, again, very methodically, we're slowly adding, you know, electrolytes and fluids and carbs back in. We're timing them correctly. We're giving you the max amount you need by the end of the day that, you know, your rehydration response should go fairly well and your performance should still be, you know, at a high. Yeah. So one, one thing I've question I've had about like weight cutting in general is that I just always wondered if it was necessary. Like, is this something that you have to do? I think an MMA is going to be a different situation than wrestling quite a bit, quite a bit different. So we'll dive into that. But I'm just kind of like, is there really that much benefit to putting yourself through this and then like trying to basically repair all the damage you did in a short amount of time? So my question is like, I mean, it's so ubiquitous. So you almost, you just have to know how to navigate it, right? It's not going to go away. I've always wondered, is there an actual benefit to it? Like, does, does this have a ultimate net gain in performance? when done correctly? So, no. I mean, I think all of us in the field will agree that weight cutting is kind of like, it's it's a silly practice. There's really no need to it. And everyone gets, everyone who does fight and does the weight cuts, they get so fixated on wanting to do these more drastic cuts because then they can rehydrate and refeed and be the bigger person come fight day. Because when you drop to that weight class, I mean, what, you're only there for a couple hours, yeah. maybe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. But that's not your true weight. But but no, there's there's no benefit to cutting weight. And I try and instill, at least in my guys, that, hey, if we can, you know, get you to your weight in a healthy way by dropping, you know, body fat, keeping you lean, but like, you know, still giving you plenty of carbs, maybe we manipulate them slightly come fight week, then, you know, you can wake up on weight. There's no need to do a cut because 
we already know what dehydration does to the body. You know, 2% or 3% decreases aerobic performance. Like we already said, more than 5%, you're decreasing strength performance, but now you're increasing risk for concussion because we're depleting the water sources, you know, in the brain. Yeah. And more than that. So, you know, if you're going to do a big drastic weight cut to me in, in simple terms is if you're going to like kill yourself during camp and want to perform at a high level, you're undoing all your hard work. Once it comes to fight week, if you're going to put yourself through a drastic cut, because, you know, if we have to deplete all your sources acutely, so now we have to take away all the carbs to get mm. rid of all the water storage in your muscles or yeah. glycogen. Carbs are the one thing that give you energy. So if I have to significantly deplete that, <laughs> yeah. maybe, and maybe the cut is really big. Maybe it's not <clears> we <throat> do it for seven days. Maybe we have to do it pretty, you know, significantly over the course of the camp. So if carbs are your main energy source, then, you know, even one day of refeeding you isn't going to bring you back to 100%. And then by significantly depleting them, we're, you know, increasing cortisol levels, inflammation, we're decreasing recovery rates. So everything that, again, is all about making you a better fighter, a better athlete, having better performance, we're depressing that to some extent yeah. because we can't replete you 100%. They've shown studies with, uh, you know, with cyclists where they try and do that whole like keto for a week, mm -hmm. you know, and do a day of refeeding to see if that, you know, how that affects glycogen storage. Yep. Known that even a week of doing really low carbohydrate diets depresses those metabolic processes without getting into the nitty gritty yeah. of it. That essentially allow you to metabolize carbohydrates efficiently and, you know, boost those storage levels up. So now... Like now that even though I'm feeding you for, you know, a rehydration period of, let's say, yeah. 30 hours, that's maybe not be fully getting back into your system. You're not going to be able to fully utilize that at your maximum capacity. So, again, what's the point? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's really interesting. That's that's a really short time. Like your cyclist. So basically, get a week, you become metabolically inflexible to exactly yeah. utilize carbs. <laughs> the whole point is, you know. Any type of fight sport is highly like glycolytic. Mm. You know, so carbs are going to be, and I tell all my fighters, like carbs are your best friend. They're your yeah. main energy source. Like we don't want to deplete them too much and we want to make you really efficient using them. Yeah. Why, you know, why are you going to like drop all this weight and then now decrease your chances of having a really good recovery and a really good yeah. fight? Mm -hmm. So you know, the whole weight cutting thing, I don't think it's needed, but it's going to happen anyway. So my... My mindset is like, how can I educate and help these guys do it the safest and healthiest way possible and hopefully eventually get them to realize like you don't need to do these big cuts and it's actually not good for you. Like, why would you want to be fighting on fight day at 60 percent when you could be fighting at like 80 to 100 percent? Like yeah, exactly. Yeah, but no, that's I'm totally with you there about like, well, it's going to happen. They're going to do it with or without me. Yep. So I'd rather have them do it with me and, and then we're going to do it safely under my supervision and we're going to do it the best way possible. Like that's where, you know, that's where I, that's like where supplements are for me. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, what, whatever I, my personal feelings are about certain types of supplements, my athletes are going to take them and they're going to take yep. them with or without me. So yeah. I might as well give them the best options. So I love it. Yeah. It's almost like as a practitioner, you can't ever tell them no. So it's like, how <laughs> them yes but in a way that's so like, yeah i'm like <laughs> exactly <laughs> so let's talk about how to do this correctly let's let's dive into some more specifics so we've already alluded to several 
things that you're going to manipulate throughout this process. But can you just give an overview and description of what are the main factors that are going to be manipulated? And then in general, how are we going to do that? Or how would somebody go about doing that? Yeah. So obviously, you know, to me, a weight cut starts first day of camp. So priority number one, if we're going to do this correctly and safely, is that we want to target body fat losses as much as possible and preserve lean mass. Because at the end of the day, when it comes to non-essential body mass or acute weight loss, we're just really manipulating water stores. And where do we hold water? Mostly in our muscles. Sure. The diet, we can really easily manipulate that through diet, but fat stores don't hold water. So I, I jokingly tell my athletes, I'm like, if you're fat, you're effed. Like, <laughs> like sorry, I can't do anything with that. So if you have high body fat coming into fight week, um, we can't we can't cut that in any capacity. There's I'm just like, yeah, you can't drop 10 pounds of fat in a week. It's not no. happening. No. Nope. <laughs> so step one and is always, you know, feeding a high protein diet, high protein, at least their body weight in protein per day. There's no limit on protein and we can shove that up even higher. That's better. So not as only going to help keep you full, it's going to help preserve your lean mass, but it's also going to help target body fat specifically, you know, in terms of losing that every day. And then combined with the calorie deficit, high protein diets can also offset any negative consequences of calorie deficits, like on your resting metabolic rate and your hormones and things like that. For sure. Now, so, does, for some, for okay. so, sorry, for someone who doesn't know or might not know this, a fight camp is just this time period leading up to the the actual fight, correct? Yeah. Standard would be probably like six to eight weeks. Okay. It can't for fighters. Sometimes they like to start 12 weeks out. Sometimes it's short notice at four weeks, but I would say standard would be like a four to, or sorry, six to eight week time period that they're preparing for this fight. Okay. And then is protein amount kind of your typical one gram per pound or what's your, what's your recommendation? Uh, at minimum, I do 1.8 grams per kilo, okay. but I, my goal is about one gram per pound or 2.2 grams per, per kilo is usually my standard. And if I can shove it up higher, cause that's why I say, I say, Hey, there's no limit on protein. If you're hungry or add another chicken breast, add another piece of steak, whatever it is right. you want. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So we start that early on and, you know, again, throughout camp, making sure recovery is good. So we're still giving plenty of carbohydrates. I, unless it's a, you know, a situation, unless we do have to cut a pretty significant amount of weight in a short time period, I'm still feeding roughly three to four grams per kilogram every single week, you know prioritizing those carbs before training periods, you know, a little bit after for recovery, you know, so they have energy, they have recovery at the right time, but we're still eliciting weight loss every single week. Yeah. So it's kind of smart, intelligent, like just body fat loss regimen. Yep. Okay. And what's the, what, what's the calorie deficit that you typically recommend starting out with? I mean, honestly, these perform at such a high level, so you almost don't really need to incorporate that much of a deficit most i'll do i most i'll just do a thousand calorie deficit after you know all my calculations in terms of their base needs and then incorporating their activity factors but yeah for the most part you don't really need to go under that just because yeah. they're exercising so much and if we're being honest the amount of food that you would like to prescribe them in a day they're not even going to eat anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I would imagine just the increased energy expenditure of the fight camp might take care of the the, the it, deficit it, needed, right? It 
actually does. So honestly, it's getting these getting most fighters to eat more than they're used to, because I mean, I hear crazy stories. They're like, yeah, I worked out like three times today and I only ate breakfast and then dinner. And I'm like, what are you talking about? (laughs) How are you still upright? (laughs) Like what? (laughs) So how long? So like this initial just kind of general fat loss phase, how long does that last? That's going on from day one up until the start of fight week. Okay, so up until the week of. Yeah. Uh, is there anything like additional during this time that you would focus on that's, that would pertain to a weight cut? Yeah, the only other thing I like to get my athletes doing at minimum 30 days before the fight is, like I kind of alluded to earlier, heat acclimation. So again, sometimes these guys, they kind of do it naturally when they're training in their sweatsuits and stuff. But if we can train their bodies and preferably through a passive modality. So usually sauna sessions are the best bath, but essentially exposing your body to hot environments. And over time, what that's going to do is you're, you're essentially like the, and how it's entitled in the word, you're going to acclimate to it. Mm. So your body is going to be able to handle that hot exposure a little bit easier. You know, your heart rate might not be as high. Your, your body won't be as stressed. So it's going to be able to tolerate that hotter environment for a longer period of time and it's supposed to elicit your sweat responses more quickly Hmm. so that by the time we get to the cut you know you can handle your sauna session so like you know because for every fighter at the end of the day let's be honest sometimes it's just mental yeah for sure mentally being there your body your it's not your body's not going to feel it as much you're going to be sweating faster so that weight cut will go by quicker yeah so again we're just prepping your body and getting it ready for that moment so, okay. you know, it's seamless. Yeah. So the heat acclimation is actually for the cut, not the fight. Yeah, it's for the cut. Uh, okay. Because I'm kind of thinking like, wait, don't they fight in a, in a temp controlled yeah, uh, they- controlled arena? You know? So, okay. That makes more sense. Okay, cool. Yeah, that does make sense because you still, I mean, there's a level of adaptation that probably needs to take place. And mm-hmm. even if it's just mental, <laughs> If you just start, if you just start anything, it's going to have this like, like you're going to get a little bit of a shock to the system, so to speak, and you're going to probably not feel as good and it's just going to be something you got to work through. So about 30 days prior, heat acclimation. Okay. Yeah. And how I like to think about the heat acclimation is, um, you know, as practitioners, we tell every single athlete, it doesn't have to be fighting. Hey, if you're going to try something new, Mm. like always do it during training. Never try it right before. Absolutely. So it's the same thing with heat acclimation. You know, you've done weight cuts before, but if you don't kind of practice the process of it regularly, it's going to suck come fight day, especially sure. if you're starting it for the first time. So why not practice it ahead of time so you know what to expect? And then again, your body's going to get used to it. So like a big thing for me, why I like it is because sometimes I'll notice that during the weight cutting process and, you know, anyone listening, if they're fighters, they might you know be able to relate to this. They start to get like their stomach starts to hurt or they start mm-hmm. to feel like indigestion or nausea so doing those exposures will help mitigate those responses for sure come that yeah gotcha and then how long are these sauna sessions just in general so you want to work up to being able to do 30 40 minutes straight okay three to four times a week oh wow kind of yeah you want to do it pretty regularly but the goal while you're doing it is obviously not to be dehydrated it's just yes. to sit in there it, yes and then bring the water bring the electrolytes you know keep the fluids going you're like, we're not trying to make you drop weight right now. We're just trying to get you used to being in here. Absolutely. Okay, awesome. Let's go to like the week of the actual cut. 
All right. So how are we transitioning uh, when we start the actual weight cut? Yeah, I would say perfect scenario, right? We're coming into fight week. Weight's in a good place. So now the rest of what we're getting off is what we're considering non-essential body mass stores. So it's all water weight, right? <laughs> right. So, you know, and what I'm going to explain is kind of like a standard guideline. Depending on who you're working with, sometimes you don't need to fully execute all of these methods and they'll still have a good response. So it's really, you know, the individual does come into play and being able to learn their body and their reactions does matter. But I would say first step, step number one is now we got to deplete carbs. So I like to taper them throughout the week, depending on when their last training session is. But a standard would be like, hey, for at least five days, again, depending how the cut is, maybe we have to do it for a week. You know, standard would be like feed 50 to 70 grams of carbs per day. And that should be able to fully deplete, you know, any glycogen in the muscles and in the liver. So and just just kind of a note there. If you're, if you're kind of wondering why is it carbs? So this has nothing to do with like carbs, like, you know, being particularly fattening. It's because for every gram of carbohydrates just stores glycogen, we, we store about three grams of water. So that's Correct. why Jackie's talking about really focusing on carbohydrates. Cause if you deplete glycogen stores and like the average person, what is it like 400 to 500 grams of glycogen in your muscles, <laughs> if you're fully topped up that that can lead to significant weight loss just via via water losses. So that's just yeah. going to make sure we're clear out as far as like why are we why are we talking carbs here? So okay. Yeah. That would be step number 1, right? So we can, you know, just taper those throughout the week. I mean, that alone you could see a loss of 1% to 2% of your body weight every single day. <laughs> oh wow. Depending again on how much carbs that athlete particularly was consuming in camp. So sure. again, response is going to be really dependent on what that person was eating prior. So we were still doing a high carbohydrate diet during camp. The weight loss came off really nicely. Come fight week. Oh yeah. That's going to be a super nice response. But mm-hmm. as we might only have to do that and you'll be yeah. solid. Yeah. But if it was a pretty drastic cut and let's say, I don't know, you know, even three weeks prior, we're capping carb intake at like 170, 180 grams per day. You know, that glycogen mm-hmm. depletion response might not be as great because we've already had to spend so much time depleting you early on. Yep. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, so step two with that would be, you know, again, we're focusing on things that attract water inside the muscles, mm. you know, inside the cells. So we already talked about like, you know, you just mentioned for every gram of glycogen, it's three grams of water. So that's one. Number two is going to be sodium. You know, water follows sodium. So by yep. doing a lower sodium diet, for me, I would say maximum amount of time you really need to do this is five days. I usually, depending on the athlete, don't like to do it for more than like four, four, five. So that's that's kind of like my time peppered following a lower sodium diet. Okay. <clears throat> How low are we talking? Again, that just depends on intake of the normal athlete. Sure. So if one that, I don't know, like maybe regularly they consume five grams of sodium per day. If you just cut that intake, I mean, yeah, if you think about it, they yeah. have high sweat you know, maybe just dropping it to 2.5 would, you know, that's going to elicit significant weight loss. For me, my standard is like 500 milligrams to 1000 milligrams per day. That's kind of what I'll like kind of drop it to. But at the same breath, a part of these fight week methods, which make them successful is that you still have to be active. So you still have to do every day, 
doing a little bit of a workout, not super intensive or, you know, nothing taxing on the nervous system, but something that's still eliciting some sort of exercise, metabolic yeah. activity. Um, and it's still getting them to sweat. Otherwise, none of this is really going to be effective. For sure. <clears throat> yeah. But again, with the, you know, with the sodium, all dependent on what the athlete's normal intake is. Like I said, 500 milligrams to 1,000 milligrams per day is kind of my standard of what I'll cap it to because, you know, we can't say no sodium because you would die. Like, you need <laughs> right. Yeah. Just lower <laughs> sodium. So sometimes it's just as easy as just taking salt away from your main meals that you're eating. But we know that certain foods have natural sources of sodium or maybe their protein powders are taking or aminos might have a little sodium in it. So as long as like, you know, two scoops of your protein powder doesn't have two grams of sodium in it, we're okay. Yeah, for sure. A little bit, if it's 100 grams here or, you know, 65 grams here, like, or sorry, not grams, milligrams. Yep. <laughs> a lot, 65 grams. <laughs> so 100 milligrams here, 60 milligrams here. Yeah. Maybe do a little sauce with your chicken that week, then like that, it should be fine. You're still going to have a weight loss response every day with that as well. Okay, cool. Yeah. And, and oh. so, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say step number three is the water load. Okay. <laughs> so Reed Real, he's also, he works at the Performance Institute out in Shanghai. He's a pretty prominent researcher in this field as well. And he put out a study with the water loading because traditionally a lot of fighters will like to taper the water throughout the week. So the start high and low method. Mm -hmm. And Reed put out a paper, and I learned this at the Performance Institute. So it's a method that I implement all the time, and I like it better, actually. So where it's start low and end high. Okay. So, and all you need is, so what that means is, like, let's say your max water intake is two gallons. You would start, and you only really need to do it, and this is part of Reed's paper, is that this is effective by just doing this for 72 hours. Okay. So, you know, three to five days out, you have your max water load and the day of the weight cut, then you drop the water intake. So for me, I, I kind of just drop them to a standard of two liters that day. And I say stop all water intake, like roughly 10 hours before your weigh in time. Okay. But what this paper showed was that one, it doesn't cause hyponatremia, which is, you know, low, low blood sodium levels which can be dangerous, obviously. So it had no effect on that. So, you know, in terms of the method, we figured it was safe, even combined with a lower sodium diet. But, and it's not necessarily that it depressed the hormones that make you retain more water, but what it showed is that it increased the filtration processes within the kidneys that continuously keep water flowing. So the protein channels in the kidneys that filter water, he was able to show on this paper that, hey, like, that continued. So even by cutting water intake and doing, you know, an active dehydration phase that like the body was almost like in layman's terms, it wasn't scared to like activate all the hormones to make you retain more water. It's just like, oh, no, we've had a high water intake this whole time. You know, now we're sweating. This is normal. We've done this yeah. before. And used to allow the fluid to flow out. OK. OK. Yeah. So, so like two gallons would be like an example of how high they can get. Is that based on a body weight at all? Yeah. So okay. you, so in that paper, and this is kind of the same protocol that I follow, roughly like 100 to 115 milliliters per kilogram of body weight is what you'd calculate is like the max. Okay. Yeah. But again, that's dependent on how much they drink too. So like if you have an athlete, like I've had heavy weights before where I calculate their max to be like three liters. I don't know. I'm just, you know, so let's make this up. Yeah. They're like, I already do that every day. 
And I'm like, okay, well, then there's no point in doing this water load. <laughs> That's not going to be. Yeah, you're already there. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it's always dependent on what the person is kind of used to drinking already. But for a lot of individuals, they'll find that it's really not as high as they think. So like I've had, you know, females like fly weights or bantam weights where their coaches are having them drink like two, three gallons a day. And I'm like, dude, you're your max is like 1.5, 1.7 gallons. Yeah. Like, you know, that's way too high. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so if you can kind of get it in that right sweet spot, again, it, it is going to keep them going to the bathroom a lot, mm-hmm. which can kind of disrupt them sleeping in the night. So it's kind of one of the things that you have to balance in terms of what you think is more important. You know, is it better to have be in this hyper hydrated state um, for a little bit of time or give them more quality sleep? Yeah. But for me, what I really like is that when you're drinking so much water and anyone who drinks a ton of fluid experiences this, it can kind of depress your hunger a little bit or make you forget that you're hungry. Mm-hmm. And so we're already having to initiate a calorie deficit during fight week yeah. and keep you less thinking about food. To me, that's better for like, yeah. you know, the coach, but also the athlete, because like a hangry athlete is not. <laughs> not good. It's not that's, that's a dangerous combo. <laughs> yeah. And they know how to fight. Oh, yeah, that, that's super dangerous. <laughs> I die. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, if, ideally, you, you don't need to use this if you don't have to, right? Like, if you if cutting the carbs does the trick or does the sodium does the trick, you're like, all right, I don't need to go to water. Yeah, you need to implement every single thing. That's why every we say every single person is going to have an individual response. But I would say for me, standard, if it's my first time working with someone, I'm implementing everything across mm. the board just to learn their body and their response. And then after that, okay, how do you respond to this? How do you respond to that? Okay, we don't need to be as aggressive with this portion of it this week. So yeah, again, you just kind of have to learn the athlete, but standard across the board is, yeah, deplete carbs, you know, reduce sodium, initiate a water load. Kind of going back to the beginning of that in terms of calorie needs, there's no need to ever consume below your resting metabolic rate, you know, what you calculate that to be, because that's what we calculate your base needs to be if you were on the couch, you know, Mm -hmm. basically doing nothing all day yeah so consume still that yeah still gonna lose weight every day there's no reason for that to make you gain weight yeah because like it should be matched to their body weight currently which they're coming into fight week at hopefully i was gonna ask you how close do you want them to fight weight like the way in sorry weigh in weight when you enter fight week my max is 10 percent. i never want them over 10 percent coming into fight week but the paper that the UFC recently put out, some PubMed, I believe it's it's free access. They released some data because that was kind of always the standard. Hey, if you're within 8 to 10%, you're in good standing. They're showing most of these professionals at the higher level are coming in pretty, are, un, are under that, you hmm. know, maybe like 6 to 8% is what they're coming in at, which is really great. But for me, what I still just see is being, you know, effective is 10%. I'm not saying that's healthy. I'm not yeah. saying that uh, we're risking anything i'm just saying that is my max threshold of where i want anyone is within 10 percent completely yeah that that's that's kind of crazy because if if i remember from clint's book i want to say wrestling is supposed to be more like three to five yeah (laughs) it's all dependent on two on like the weigh-in so if it's multiple day weigh-ins or same day weigh-in yeah i want that like you know no more than five percent yeah i'm thinking e five percent is that max threshold of what we can cut in terms of body weight and still be able to rehydrate in a short period of time to still feel somewhat effective and have good energy 
in in a performance period. Yeah. More than 5% is like, it's a no-go. So hope, like I said, if they're entering fight week, 10% over fight weight by implementing full fight week tactics, hopefully we get them within that 5% range 24 hours prior. Sure. Yeah. I would say my females, just because it's harder for females to cut weight, 8% is kind of my cap. I don't want them over 8% of their body weight. Yeah. Yeah. The lower they can come in, the better Then you know, if we can implement fight week tactics, then that sometimes, you know, I have boxers that, you know, they, they don't have big weight cuts. They come into fight week, you know, within 5%. And I'm like, all right, we just do a little acute weight loss and boom, yeah. you go to bed. Wait, there is no weight cut. Like, yeah, that's awesome. That's the yeah. ideal right there. So is there a step after the water load? Is there like a next tier? No, those would be the main things. I mean, first step one, we deplete the carbs, then the sodium, and then the water load for about, you know, 72 hours yeah. prior to that weight cut day. And then, you know, the next step, which I'm kind of like on the fence about is implementing low fiber, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, having to go what we would kind of describe as medically low fiber, like five to 10 grams per day is pretty difficult once you start crunching the numbers. Mm. Um, I, I genuinely believe that it doesn't have that much of an impact based on my experiences. And I'm feeding my athletes, you know, upwards of 25, 30 grams of fiber per day. So even by cutting that in half come fight week, it yeah. should still fit, you know, that gut depletion response that we kind of want, you know, and what we've kind of seen and Charles Stoll, he just did a presentation on this, that there's certain fibrous foods that have more of a response than others. So fight week, we're not feeding things like heavy things like, you know, beans and broccoli and cauliflower, but fiber that comes from like fruits like berry or if we're feeding vegetables like asparagus, you know, that's not going to have much of that water you know hmm. whole capacity okay so we open away with some of those things but i would say the main focus obviously is like we're trying to do low volume so all yeah. the fight what you're routinely going to see is like really high protein higher fat to you know help meet the calorie demand since we have to deplete carbs so we have to fill in those calorie gaps from something for sure yeah <laughs> that's the most nutrient dense for the lowest volume so you know, we can manipulate the weight by like the literal weight of the food. So if the food is really small, but really calorically dense, you'll oh, feel yeah. like Interesting. Day. So just, I want to talk about the fiber for just a second. So again, just kind of explain what's going on here. Like why would somebody even want to go low fiber for the purposes of a weight cut? So they would want to go low fiber because we're talking about just being able to reduce some water retention in the gut. So fiber alone can hold like roughly like one to two pounds of water in your stomach. Yeah. So the initially is that if we can reduce fiber come fight week, we can passively or acutely drop one to two pounds. And at the end of the day, how many fighters miss weight by yeah. how much? Right. Pound, pounds. And you're like, oh, my God, if all I did was just change something in my diet this week and that could have gotten rid of that, mm-hmm. make this weight cut so much easier. Like that that's makes the world of difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But again, like when you start to think, crunch the numbers and think about like what you can feed somebody, especially like, you know, bigger, bigger athletes that, you know, still have higher base needs. Like, you know, you still got to get them 2000 calories in every day. Yeah. So how do you do that? And like, how do you help them feel full if it's, mm-hmm. you know, in high fat? Like, you know, there's there's only so many options. <laughs> yeah. Like, what do you mean I have to cut out all vegetables, all fruits? Like, that's like, what Like, what do I have left if I'm only giving them five to 10 grams of fiber yeah. per day? Nothing. So I, I, I think it's kind of a wash at that point if every, if every other method is more effective. Sure. 
And but again, like I said, if you're just you're already reducing food that week, if you're getting rid of like the main fibers, things like whole grains, you know, sweet potato with the skin on it, if you're getting rid of beans and you're just maybe using more water based vegetables instead of like broccoli and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts. Yeah, I think fine. And like I said, if you're you're used to eating like 30 plus grams of fiber per day. And if you drop that by half, you're still going to have a response. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's cut in half. And that's still more fiber than probably the average person gets. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. That's funny. Like when I would show my wrestlers the food lists, okay, like, you know, if you need a a little extra, a couple pounds, let's go low fiber. And I'd show them food options. It's like, coach, this doesn't look very healthy. I'm like, well, (laughs) I mean, we're we're choosing foods with zero fibers. That means, you know, fruits and vegetables you got to be careful with. And, And actually your point about uh, certain types of fruits and vegetables having a different effect. That's in, that's really interesting because there's not just one type of fiber. We have different types of fiber, even in, even amongst the soluble insoluble. There's different types there, so that's really interesting. We can't even just be, give a blanket recommendation there. We have to know what type of fiber is going to be in the food. Exactly, which again brings just goes back to the point where this whole thing is mm. much more like methodical and sciencey yes. than people participate. Yeah. Also, I think what you kind of said just now where like, you, you know, your wrestlers are like, I don't think this is healthy. And that's kind of like, you know, what you and I will say to people all the time, like, mm, that's where it becomes counterintuitive to other practitioners. We're like, it's not supposed to be. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. this is not the we're, we're thing what gets the body weight off and what works in the healthiest way possible. Yeah, quote but unquote. <laughs> what you're going to say or options that are going to be better for you aren't going to be specifically better for that athlete. So like, you know, if we have to go low fiber, but we still have a training session during fight week, I might give you like a candy bar. Yeah. I give you some because that's just straight up sugar, you sugar know. And fat, so, yeah. Quickly, it's high in fat. There's no fiber in that. Nope. Like, <laughs> and, screw it. That's going to make you really happy and make my job easier. Yeah, exactly. You do that versus like a big bowl of fruit just for that purpose, you know, right there of just kind of trying to target a lower fiber, higher fat option. Yeah. For sure. And again, uh, this is assuming it's done correctly and have a healthy yes way possible. Possible. It's still very short term. It's not like yeah. we're, we're recommending this, you know, for months on end or weeks on end. It's literally a week or a few days. You're, exactly. you're going to be fine from a health perspective. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we've got a few minutes left. I Is there anything you do with supplementation wise during this period or anything that falls into your protocol? Yeah, I would say early. I mean, supplements, I, I'm actually a big like proponent and advocate for supplements. I, I don't want to say you can out supplement a bad diet, even though you can kind of sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, like all of these athletes are high performing athletes. They're in calorie deficits. You're not getting the nutrients you need on a daily basis from food. And your needs as an athlete are already twice, if not three times as higher than the average individual. So, I mean, always a multivitamin. Let's just hit like all the basics, yes. <laughs> kind of fill on those gaps. I'm really big on like vitamin D because that just seems to be a you know a deficiency across the board, especially if these athletes are indoors. Probiotics, gut health, you know, that's really big. Protein powder, aminos, yeah. you know, throwing those in. Anything that has to do with recovery. But if we're just going to kind of pinpoint it specifically to fight week. Fight week, I'm always doing probiotics because, again, we're depleting the fiber. So gut health. Similarly, glutamine to kind of help, again, help with Mm. gut integrity. Yep. And a multivitamin, again, filling in the gap we're not getting. Zinc, 
for immunity because, you know, athletes now at higher risk of getting sick. Yeah. Do the depletion. Yeah. Um, and then again, aminos, because sometimes if, you know, we have to be careful with the protein powders, aminos for me, we can help mitigate excessive muscle loss. We can still keep them in that positive protein balance. And from a flavor perspective, if you're having to water load all day, for me, I'm like, hey, aminos, no limit. Go ham. Have a fill every single water bottle with aminos if you want. Like, (laughs) yeah, that's a good point. That is a really good point because, yeah, you need just a little bit of flavor. You need something. If you got to drink a ton of water or a couple gallons of water, you need something to kind of just break up the monotony. Yeah. 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 During the descent, I guess, specifically. Do they need to be careful with creatine at all as far as like water retention or how do you so, handle that? Yeah. So creatine, again, is going to be kind of have to assess every single individual differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have some athletes that are highly responsive to creatine, yeah. even for low doses, five grams. I mean, that'll put like 10 pounds on them over time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so for them, I, I tell them that we have to cut it out completely like that. We can't even utilize creatine. Others, if we do low doses, and let's say that only brings their body weight, you know, in terms of water retention up by a few pounds, then maybe four weeks out, we start a taper. So instead of five grams every day, we do 2.5, mm. you know, two, 1.5, and then fight week, maybe we just keep it at one gram per day or we cut it out altogether. Yeah. Um, others, you know, there's no response at all, and you can keep it up, keep yeah. it in. Know their daily intake up until fight day. There's no need to get rid of it at all. Yeah, it it just really depends. I love getting every single one of my athletes on creatine just to try it. You know, mm-hmm. to assess the months. Sometimes instead of having them take it every day, a good way to kind of mitigate excessive water retention is by having them do it a few times a week. Okay. So, example, I have a boxer right now. He's vegan, so of course, like he's going to be a super responder. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but to help mitigate the water retention so we can know that we're still dropping weight each week, I say, hey, just do it three times a week on your hardest training days. So for him, that's like a, a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. Yeah. Those are the creatine and every other day we we don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting. And just like a little bit of a tidbit, we don't need to talk about this, but I do want to mention it because you, you did mention you like getting your fighters on creatine. And you've mentioned a couple of times about water protecting the brain. Well, this is another like brain protective thing that we can do is to get them on creatine. And uh, even if you have to take creatine out, research shows that your, your, your levels will stay elevated for about four weeks if you are adequately loaded. So even if you would take it out, you should be fine. But if it doesn't impact your weight, just stay on it. Like I would just stay on it just for the brain, brain benefits. So, so Jackie, this is, this has been awesome. And you do have a book on this. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, T presents Making Weight. And it's essentially kind of a lot of what we talked about today, just maybe more specifically. And it's not so much for practitioners. It's not very sciencey. I love to kind of break things down to an elementary level so it's really digestible. So I, I created it for fighters specifically. And it's okay. really just it it takes you through every phase of fight camp, you know, how to fuel in the early, you know, during the dieting phase or fight camp what to do during fight week, how to heat acclimate, the you know right process of rehydration with a step-by-step guide on how to do it, and then like how to fuel during fight day to have maximum performance. So yeah, the book, and it's, it's a small book. It's an easy read. You could probably read through it in like 30 minutes to an hour. <laughs> it's, but it's just, you know, to me, it's just straight to the point. It's just digestible information that makes sense in terms of like, you know, 
especially food types, sure. you know, and throwing numbers like, oh, you should have 60 grams before a workout. I translate that into food oh, and awesome. give examples to kind of make it even, like I said, easier. So yeah, the book is just kind of all about how to do prepare yourself for your weight cut appropriately and then how to recover and rehydrate from that appropriately as well. Yeah. Awesome. And then you have something coming up this summer. Is that right? Yes. I'm really excited about it. So I have put together, it's called TFN's six week online fight camp, or I'm still working on the title. It's just going to be six week fight camp or online fight camps. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) But essentially it'll come out, hopefully release date. We're planning for end of May, beginning of June don't have a specific date yet, but essentially I have put together a full fight camp for everything. So it's based on weight class and based on gender. So, and using all the data that we've had from the PI, from, you know, me as a practitioner, the studies that we've done so far, your case studies on athletes, I've already pre-programmed the weight descent, appropriate weight targets from start to end, where you should be, you know, one week out the night before. And every single week has your meal plans laid out with, you know, videos along the way for extra tips and information. So hmm. it's basically my whole coaching program that I do one on one with every single athlete now just online without me being there. <laughs> <laughs> so is this like, is it uh, like an online course type thing where the athlete goes through them through the recommendations or the videos or whatever, and then they have apply it to themselves or do they like kind of input data and information and an auto calculates things for them. So it'll be an online program. You sign in every week, you'll get a new meal plan. But yeah, I you'll be able to put input your own information. So mm-hmm. you can specifics for yourself. But for the most part, you know, like we said before, weight cutting is no joke. It can be really dangerous. I've made it specific, but as general as possible. So for example, let's say you're fighting at a hundred and we'll say a featherweight 45 pounds ideally and it's all based on a six-week camp ideally we wouldn't really want you more over like 73 74 leading in everyone's going to be at a different weight but for the most part it's already calculated what your starting weight should be and the weight loss you should experience every single week based on the deficit provided so it's literally here's your meal plan if you follow this exactly and it gives you times to eat things how to move them around your training sessions all that information but if you need it more specialized obviously like that's where you have to kind of book a private consult with me so we can visualize the program a tad more at the end of the day i don't want anyone going into this process being like if they're a 45 and they're starting at 190 pounds like in six (laughs) weeks that's like yeah (laughs) yeah exactly but that's just a good way that you can hopefully expand your reach and get more people doing it the right way you know so that that is awesome so i will definitely make sure in the show notes that you have access or you I will direct you to all the all these places and Jackie I just want to thank you so much for your time today and uh yeah this was great yeah thanks for having me I really appreciate it thank you for listening to the performance connection podcast if you enjoyed the episode please leave a review share on social media and on instagram tag at performance connection podcast all one word The content of this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure any medical condition. Thanks again, and I hope you'll keep listening or check out other episodes.